This episode of Gen C is sponsored by Chainalysis. Gen C is the generation of the new internet. In Gen C, the C stands for crypto, but it also stands for creators, the connected consumer and collectibles, both digital and physical with on-chain provenance. It stands for culture and characters, the ones we play in games and the companion ones that AI is building alongside us. It stands for community and digital citizenship and the new set of transparent and trustless tools being built to govern them. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they look at the hybrid, digital, and physical spaces being built all around us. And finally, how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how brands, large and small, are building for these audiences. Welcome to Gen C. Avery, I missed you last week. I'm so glad to see you. It's never a good week for me if I don't get some Avery time. Hello. Looking forward in a couple of weeks to seeing you down at Art Basel in Miami. But let's get into it. This was a really interesting week for a couple of reasons that I wanted to talk about. So the first is I'm actually going to play you a little bit of audio that I was not expecting to hear. Do you ever see a, a moment where the platform... Uh, itself becomes more open in the idea that, you know, your currency is something called Robux and whether those Robux could be used off platform, whether we've talked about NFTs and, and things that could live inside Roblox, but then get moved on to somebody else's platform or, you know, so in, in other ways. Yeah, I want to I want to highlight there's there's a bit of a dream here about objects and NFTs moving from platform to platform. We do believe someday, for example, you know, I, I use the, the fun use case that someday Elton John may come on Roblox and make eight or ten one unit really cool capes, for example, and sell them for charity. And we would imagine someday that those would go off platform as an NFT, possibly get sold off platform and then come back on platform. What we what we do expect is the creators, whether it's Elton John or Nike or someone else making a digital item, that they would play a key role and have a fair amount of control in that process. All right. So you heard it there right from Roblox's CEO that NFTs are coming. This is something that Roblox has in, most likely now has in their roadmap. And when they pull the trigger on this, I can guarantee you we're going to see every company that is a, even within the hemisphere of competition with Roblox jump in in a very big way. So Avery, the clip that we just listened to, the CEO of Roblox talking about how whether it's what Nike's doing or what Elton John can do by bringing a collectible NFT into Roblox that is can be ported out. It feels like they're evolving a little bit of their own thinking to the idea that they see a future where digital assets don't only have to exist within the Roblox ecosystem. I know that Roblox is something you pay a ton of attention to. So what are your thoughts on whether you think that we will see this at some point in the future? I think if there's consumer demand to bring your assets across different digital experiences across different immersive worlds, then that's really, really interesting. And, you know, the Nike.swoosh example is one that people can clearly understand because your avatar in Fortnite or in Roblox or in a number of different worlds, like why shouldn't that be possible if you purchase this and Nike has partnerships with these immersive worlds? So love to hear it. I have not heard anything official, so we'll have to keep our eyes peeled on this. But, you know, I've always felt that Roblox Limiteds are just, you know, NFTs in a centralized capacity. And I think that Roblox is so focused on developing tools for their creators to monetize that it makes all the sense in the world to me. 
I was surprised to see the CEO of Roblox talking about it so openly because I do think that it feels a little bit like the gaming world is slightly starting to soften. Maybe. When it comes to NFTs. But I also think it's because we're talking about it in the right way, which is just really, Nike, I think, has done a tremendous job in resetting some of that conversation in something that was a low-cost collectible that still is a low-cost collectible that you can utilize to get into new access opportunities within gaming and IRL. Anyway, I think it's really wonderful to see. But the big story I think we have to talk about is whether or not you, Avery, would wear an AI pin on the dress you're wearing right now. I would totally wear an AI pin. And I know that this is a little bit of a controversial device. And there are some very real concerns and considerations around data privacy, data ownership. And I think that that will continue to be a really hot topic. But I saw the Humane demo video and I thought it was really interesting. And there is no way you can see that and not think that it is impressive. Just how far generative AI has come in the past 18 months is truly remarkable. The fact that you can have this device that can help you determine how much protein is in a handful of almonds, that can help you translate things on the spot into dozens of different languages. You know, there's some basic functions like call and search your phone and things like that. But I think it's really interesting. And what I think is a big deal is this idea of sort of moving away from apps into just like a device that automatically is working across different apps. Because apps sort of seem like, you know, they're a form function we need to use today in our computers and phones. But in future iterations of devices, like, do you even need those? So we'll put the link down in the show notes or just Google the Humane AI pin intro video. It's about 10 minutes long. Humane is a company that was started by two ex-Apple employees, a husband and wife. Which is unique. I like that story. One of their main investors is Sam Altman. And so they utilize ChatGPT and OpenAI into a lot of what they're doing. And the idea is really a, a secondary device, right? It's not replacing your phone, it's augmenting your phone. And the idea that you have this object, you pin it on your clothing, it can take pictures, it can speak audio. So one of the most impressive things I see there is you could hold a button, it'll record someone you're talking to might be speaking in French, Spanish, German, it'll translate into your earbuds. And then that you could hold down another button and speak to the device and it'll translate for the person listening, right? Like it's this idea of this sort of companion, if you will. Yeah. It has a laser projector in it. Laser ink. Right, laser ink projected onto your hand. Wondering how that works in daylight, but it's a different story. Anyway, just a really cool new form factor of something we haven't seen. There's a lot of kind of people who are like worried about privacy, which I think is a big one, but a sort of companion AI assistant that is with you at all times that can help give you contextual information to me is the augmented reality we've always wanted. Whether this device delivers or this is the one that gives us like the next step towards the glasses we want. I think it's just a, a push forward in a way that's really fascinating. I think what people are not going to want is another device because there's all these sort of like connected things and people are like, yeah, but I already have my phone. I have my iWatch. I have my Ray-Ban Meta glasses. Like I have my Quest. I have all this stuff. And I think people want to simplify the number of devices in their lives. So that's a, a big one to watch. And this is gen one of this, but you know, it, I think very likely to be acquired or something like that by another company who has their eye on wearables. You know, of course, I'm always looking at the brand names involved. They had a few like unique brand partnerships that they mentioned in the, the announcement video, including Tidal and T-Mobile. So, yes. you know, unique. Yes, you get a Tidal subscription with it. It's not a cheap device, almost $700 plus a monthly $24 T-Mobile subscription to make sure you have always on access. Exactly. 
it's not for the the faint of heart. You have to be willing to commit and spend in order to get this device. Cheaper than $3,500. <laughs> Cheaper than $3,500. And I have a feeling in San Francisco, we'll see them all over the place. So Definitely. Uh, <laughs> you might see one on me. Would you get one, Sam? Uh, I probably would not get one yet. I'm more of a V2 guy or a V1.5 guy. Yeah, I always want to kind of see the bugs that are worked out. I'm also the person who waited in line for hours to get Snapchat spectacles and use them for literally three days and never use them again. So I don't want to be that guy again. That was everyone. That was me too. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Anyway, with that, we have an amazing set of guests today, Deshaun Kaiser. Deshaun is the founder of One of None, which is really an authentication platform utilizing blockchain around authentic limited edition real world goods with NFT companions. And also with him is Jorge Peniche, who's a creative director, uh, was also a partner with Nipsey Hussle, the hip hop star who tragically passed away. But they have a clothing line called Marathon Clothing that they and DK are working together on to kind of create this authentic limited product. But also we're going to hear a little bit about how kind of forward thinking Nipsey Hussle was in his sort of visions of what community and membership and all of that meant as he was building up his stardom. And I think it's just a really kind of interesting fan and creator conversation along with some great technology that DK brings to the table. So after the break, we will get to that. Chainalysis is the premier blockchain data platform. Crypto businesses, financial institutions, and government agencies utilize Chainalysis data and services to answer their biggest questions about the blockchain. As regulators and policymakers work together to pass legislation that provides clarity for crypto businesses and protects consumers, they have the chance to do so with unparalleled data and research into the crypto ecosystem. Demystify cryptocurrency and gain greater visibility and insight by visiting Chainalysis.com slash Gen C. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with two amazing guests. Very excited to have these conversations. First up, Deshaun Kaiser, CEO of One of None. Deshaun and I have known each other for a couple of years now. Always excited to talk with him. And Jorge Peniche is a creative director of Marathon Clothing. Marathon is an amazing brand that was originally, I believe, started, uh, Jorge, with you and Nipsey Hussle. And a couple other partners. And a couple of other partners, exactly. So Jorge has an amazing career we'll get into as well, but, you know, deep in the hip-hop scene as well as being an amazing creative force. So, you know, just if you guys can quickly each introduce yourself to Sean, let's start with you, and then we'll go to Jorge. Awesome, Sam. Always great to see you. And I know you've heard this pitch a couple of times, but you know, name's Deshaun Kaiser. I go by my initials, DK. I spent five years in the NFL and played quarterback and with the Cleveland Browns, a little time with the Packers, the Raiders, finished with the Titans, and now living in Nashville after being with the Titans. But about two years ago, I decided to hang up my cleats a little early um, to explore a problem that I saw during my time with Jordan Brand. Uh, you know, we had so many limited edition sneakers that came out during my time with the brand, became obsessed with the concept of helping brands and creators who focus in on these limited edition products access and enable the lifetime value of their limited edition products. Um, one of none is the name of the business. And we're essentially an authentication platform uh, that allows those brands to capitalize on resale transactions, engage with their customers post purchase, as well as you know get some unprecedented data of how their products actually operate in the secondary market. Amazing. Jorge, give us your uh, your quick life story. Sure. Uh, my name is Jorge Peniche. I too go by my initials. A lot of my friends commonly call me JP. So it's one thing we have in common. I actually point into like the hip hop scene was as a fan since I was a kid. But um, later down the road in like 2007, I kickstarted my journey as an editorial photographer and writer. A freelance one at that. 
that opened up, you know, the camera and my pen opened up a lot of doors. And I got to work with a whole host of different rising talented artists that, you know, at this point have become, a lot of have become um, household names. Most notably, the one that's pertinent to this story in particular is Nipsey. And Nipsey and I connected um, in 2008 via MySpace, just through the offering of, of getting to work together, you know, on maybe on publicity images, maybe on editorial. And Nipsey was gracious enough, you know, to open up the doors to a lot of, you know, special moments in his life from 2008 to 2010 for editorial pieces or just one-off pieces that we worked on for him specifically. And really in 2010 was when Nipsey extended the Olive Branch once again to formalize our business relationship. And that's really when we fully engaged in our collaborative efforts, initially with branding and visual branding specifically, because uh, the time when we met, he was signed to Epic Records. And in 2010, the latter part of 2010, he was departing Epic Records to go completely independent once again. And that's kind of where I came in. And he knew that visual branding was really important to what he was doing and the vision that he had. And so, you know, I'm very privileged to say that I got that opportunity then. And then in 2013, 14, the opportunity came knocking to do tour management for him, which uh, I had no experience at. And I guess he saw something in me that I didn't know I had or I could possess. And um, yeah, we went on a journey of touring, you know, from 2014 and upwards to 2019. And yeah, other than that, I mean, since it's an independent company, you know, I've had to wear several different hats and develop several different skill sets, you know, with my team. And that's pretty much it. Wow, what a story for both of you guys. It's really impressive and really grateful you're taking the time to join us on the pod today. Oh, thank you for having Absolutely. us. Excited to dive in. All right. So Jason, we've known each other a little bit already. And I think the last time we talked, we were chatting about all things Web3. Tell us a little bit how you went from football to the blockchain and sort of how one of none was born. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, you know, I had the privilege of signing with Jordan Brand when I was in the NFL. And uh, I was always kind of a business mind in college and knew football was always a means to a way for me. And that was going to be something entrepreneurial. So I got the chance to join a board of governors, which is essentially their you know executive team, their creative team, and some of the athletes. And we would come together once a year and kind of forecast out that next year's worth of sneaker drops. And being kind of the business mind that I, I was, like my favorite part of those trips wasn't you know the destination location or the gambling or you know some of the unbelievable times that I had with some of the Jordan Brand family, but really it was this meeting that we had each day, which was you know this marketing opportunity to kind of talk about what that next year's worth of sneaker drops would be the analytics around it, the storytelling around it, um, the ultimate goal of the business and the brand, which during my time there was to become an international, a global luxury brand. And I just got deep into, you know, my love for limited edition products. So I was already a sneaker collector, obviously through that, uh, watches, uh, classic cars, a little bit of art, was always deep into that limited edition world. And, you know, that led me to start a business that could help brands like Brand Jordan alongside some creators. So athletes, musicians, artists, who focus in on these limited edition products and are looking to tell a story through that good to help them access that lifetime value. And blockchain was the best way to do so. Uh, we believe in a world that in order to have a connection back to the original creator, but still the true ownership of an asset, a blockchain has been the best resource to do so. Where, and once again, that contract can take you back to the original brand, original creator of the piece, uh, while the ownership of that digital asset still allows you to you know, own it freely in a decentralized way. Now we're at today is just like most, eliminating all of that brand image that crypto and blockchain created, taking all of that and making it more of infrastructure and not, you know, front facing marketing and branding. 
and uh, selling an authentication cloud, a way for brands that focus on those limitation creations for them to come in, build the digital ID for their good, and ultimately create you know services and experiences um, for that product after that point of retail. Where today, typically, that's where they you know say goodbye to their customers and try to funnel them back over to some sort of a loyalty program in their email. Um, now we're able to you know keep those creators connected to those customers through the physical product itself. Owning that good is your enablement to you know those services and engagement. And Jorge, I would love to sort of think through the birth of Marathon Clothing and also what it meant to start a brand with someone who was such an integral member of the hip hop community in what Nipsey was doing and really what he represented. And then, you know, sadly to lose him, but still really, I think, bring his ethos alive through the brand itself. So maybe you can give us like the Genesis story of Marathon. And then in addition, how you and DK got together in what you're working on. Sure. Um, I'd be remiss not to paint the picture of Hanshan Slauson. And what it means to LA and what it means to street culture and South Central specific, to me, it's like the epicenter of like the hustler, you know, like in every corner of the intersection, you see people selling something, you know, you see people selling bean pies, you see people selling t-shirts, you know, if it's, if there's a political race and when there was President Obama running for his seat, you know, you see several different products bearing President Obama's image, there's people selling CDs on the intersection. I mean, everything under the sun you can imagine, you'll see something on Crenshaw Swanson. So that having been the intersection, um, really where the brand was birthed and the two people that, oh, well, actually Nipsey, his story starts right there on Crenshaw Swanson, you know, selling his music out of the trunk of his car. And so that was the first prong of the brand, which was the music, which was the seed, you know, that was planted early on, you know, that bear fruit later down the road. Then from his older brother's side, Black Sam, Black Sam and another founder of our company, uh, Fats, Stephen Donaldson, both Sam and, and Fats used to pull out a fold-out table and sell blank t-shirts on the intersection and socks and different items, you know, daily essentials, and would constantly get harassed by the police because the police is like, hey, man, why don't you guys get a storefront? Why don't you get this? And of course, those things are easier said than done, you know? When you don't have any type of startup capital or anything like that, you just have a vision and a hunger and a dream, you know, to do something and do something legitimate at that, right? From where it's coming from, to be honest. So that said, I mean, the brand literally comes from very humble beginnings from a fold-out table. Several run-ins with the law from setting up shop, you know, in a makeshift setup, so to speak. And um, as things started to kind of like gear up with Nipsey's music, the music projects were promoted in that same intersection, you know, by Sam and Fats and the team and Adam. And as things started to pick up steam, around 2008, Nipsey was gearing up to do his debut album, which at the time was called South Central State of Mind. And the lead single of that project was Hustle in the House. This is exactly at the time when I get the privilege of meeting Nipsey for the first time. In fact, he invites me to the music video set, and it was a sight like I had never seen before. I mean, literally every car, bike, motorcycle zooming through that intersection while this music video was filmed is playing something off of one of Nipsey's projects at the time, which was Bullet Tank, I don't name Bali 1 or 2, or the very single for which the music video was being shot. And so one of like the centerpieces of that music video from a fashion standpoint was this royal and gold Crenshaw crew neck sweater with, that bared like the Crenshaw brand name in a like collegiate script. And so... That was worn by like the core members of the team in this music video. And when the video gets released, 
it creates a lot of demand by accident. That wasn't a product that was intentionally being offered, but it was like a lucky mishap, so to speak. And so at the time, Sam, who, you know, is like the business engine of the team, like the catalyst for a lot of our business ventures, he was not with us at the time. He was in jail. And so he's catching this from jail. He's watching the music video. He, everyone is, you know, talking about the sweater. And it just so happens, you know, in the soaring weeks or months, he ends up coming back home, rejoins the team, and he's starting to see the demand of all these sweaters. And he's like, all right, well, maybe this is, you know, our entry point back into, you know, the intersection of Crenshaw Slauson. And so sweaters start to sell, start to pick up some steam. We start to get some money. And then we finally are able to lay roots on at 3420 West Lawson, which is the property now owned, you know, by Nipsey's children. And so that Slauson Cheese has opened up. And that's the first place where we, again, we have our first brick and mortar. This is around 2009, 2007, 2008, 2009. And then Slauson Ave, we move over to a, a larger store within the plaza, larger space, retail space. And that becomes Slauson Ave. And then uh, formally, 2010, Nipsey drops a project called The Marathon Music. And that's the first time that people see the Marathon brand formally from us. Then 2011, Nipsey drops a project called TMC, which stands for The Marathon Continues. And around this time, we're dropping these Crenshaw crewnecks virtually in every color imaginable because we're seeing a lot of success with them coming in t-shirts, pullover hoodies, crewneck sweaters, shorts. We hadn't really expanded on like our product offerings, but that was like our bread and butter. I mean, for for parallels, you know, to the East Coast, that was like our I Love New York shirt. We knew that that was our hitter. And so around 2012, 2013, our gear started turning like, hey, we have to formalize this brand and give it a proper name. Because right now it's people are confusing, thinking that the brand's name is Crenshaw Clothing. And we know that, albeit that that's one of our best sellers, like yeah, there has to be an identity that more people can attach themselves to. And so it was Fats, Adam, Sam, Nipsey, and myself sitting in the studio that we had in downtown LA, this recording studio, and we're bouncing ideas off one another. Initially, even prior to my involvement, the brand name was said to be called Grams and Gold Chains. This was, you know, probably circa 2006, seven. And um, lo and behold, you know, as we're bouncing ideas, of course, the wordsmith of the room, the MC, Nipsey comes up. He's like, well, we already have a name. It's, it's, you know, it's TMC, the Marathon Clothing. That seems like pretty self-explanatory. And, um, you know, it's so obvious now at the time, you know, we couldn't really put our finger on it. And Nipsey, you know, with his genius, set us on track to formalize a brand, Marathon Clothing. And um, ever since then, you know, we've been off and running. I love that story, Jorge. I think it's so amazing and so powerful. And it sounds like you really have carried the spirit of Nipsey through the brand. How do you make that happen? How do you embody his spirit, even though he's no longer with us sort of physically? Because it's, I mean, just hearing your story, it seems like it's something that you think about a lot and you really, you know, have his core to the brand. Yeah. I mean, everybody was with Nipsey virtually every step of the way as his brand was being birthed and was being um, owned. And um, I think, you know, Nipsey was such a visionary that he didn't think a week or two weeks ahead or a month ahead. He thought about years, in some instances, decades ahead, you know, like he was one of a kind in the sense that he wrote everything down, you know, like 
on paper. He would have notebooks and journals filled with these plans, you know, everything down from future visions for future products to even stores and locations and how we would execute the vision for these stores. So those things are kind of like our North Guiding Stars in pushing the brand forward. And then because we all have had such close interaction with Nipsey, you know, we also think in our head, like, what would Nipsey do? And think of different scenarios that have set precedents, you know, for like the trajectory of the brand and things that Nipsey was comfortable with and things that Nipsey wasn't always like too hot about. I'll give you an example. The idea of products bearing Nipsey's likeness in life, he was never very excited about those ideas, you know, because he felt like those things were, you know, kind of corny. Granted, there are very few opportunities where that might make sense, you know, to pay homage and pay tribute. But um, he always wanted the front runner of the brand to be something that's self-standing, and that's the marathon. And so that was very important for us. Another thing is a mantra that we carry that Nipsey taught us, which was brand over business. And so I think oftentimes what happens with brands is that as you start to pick up steam, brands become overzealous, you know, as the opportunities come knocking left and right. And sometimes you start to water down your brand by just putting out everything and anything under the sun in order to monetize it, thinking that this is just a singular moment in which your brand will be able to capitalize on opportunities. And so for us, you know, for Nipsey's direction and it was always important to really evaluate opportunities and make sure that these things were in alignment with what we feel comfortable with and what we represent. And so all of those things combined, you know, I think direct, you know, a lot of the decisions that we make. And, you know, we try very carefully and make sure that we don't do things that, that just are completely off brand and are goofy or corny or nothing like that. Because aside from the legacy, you know, that we have to protect and, you know, and raise. We also have several other constituents, you know, within the family that we have to be conscious of, like, this is a collective effort and it's a representative of something much bigger than just us. So I want to jump on something you said, Jorge and Deshaun, you were telling us before we got started about this, because you mentioned that, you know, he was sort of thinking often in the future in how he was developing his business strategy. So, DK, you were telling me the story of his Proud to Pay mixtape and what that did for you in thinking about the idea of kind of collectible and digital assets. So do you want to tell us that story and how it was so influential for you? I won't go too far into the specifics, being that, you know, JP was right there actually doing everything I'm getting ready to say. But I will say, you know, as Avery, with your last question of like, you know, being able to continue to live out his legacy and, you know, keep him true. I'm admittedly, I didn't know Nip. You know, I knew the mainstream songs that came on the radio. I knew of him. I knew that there was a powerful legacy. I knew that there's, you know, from where I grew up, for you to go wear somebody else's hood on your T-shirt just seems just like so off. So clearly there's something there that has people from Toledo, Ohio, wearing Crenshaw on their shirt, not being from Crenshaw. But now that I've dove as deep as I am into the brand and into the legacy, I mean, naturally just wait until your guys' algorithm to you guys say Nipsey so much, wait until you see some of the stuff that comes across your feed here shortly it's unbelievable with what he was saying then and where we are now. You know, like a lot of his his hottest stuff, when he became the household name and started to gain the recognition that he had later, those concepts that he had that he was forward thinking on are just now coming into fruition. He goes to Filecoin out in France and talks about crypto, you know, in 2017. 
and gets deep into the value of crypto and starts to talk about how everything that can go digital will go digital. Because in a world of abundance and prices that go down, you're always going to find a digital way to do it for a cheaper price. So he develops this concept, Proud to Pay, where in 2013, he rolls out the Crenshaw mixtape and decides that every mixtape digitally will be free. You can go get a free digital download on your own. You can have it. It's yours. But for those who really want to prove that they rock with me, those who really want to you know, show that they're proud to pay, here's a thousand physical copies. We're going to go throw this pop-up shop and you, know, you can come over and purchase it. Paul is there and passes JP. You're at the pop-up shop. So where exactly was that again? Sure. Um, the pop-up shop was in the Fairfax district of LA. So uh, the Melrose, Fairfax area between uh, La Brea, Melrose and Beverly. But I just kind of want to go through a quick timeline of the sequence of events because I think to the point DK is making, it's like a lot of things, like a lot of breadcrumbs that led to Proud to Pay. And so, choose my cheat sheet, but um, these are the type of things. So, 2003, Nipsey drops a project called The Middleman, which is, you know, something that proclaims the idea of direct-to-consumer, straight out the trunk, you know, selling direct to your consumer, right? Then you fast forward to October 2013, a week prior to the release of uh, Crenshaw, and um, there's this uh, really, like, unsavory article written by Complex that highlights, of all things, the 25 most underachieving artists of a certain class, of rap artists. And, um, you know, Nipsey didn't really take well to that, as you would imagine anyone else wouldn't. But um, Nipsey was very vocal about it to the point that he got an opportunity to speak with the journalists. And whoever is listening to this or watching this, you can, by all means, look up the article and see the exchange between Nipsey and uh, said journalist. And in saying all of this, you know, Nipsey um, got to say his piece on how he feels about the underachieving title, so to speak. And I think like one of the main points of that is like, I don't do my artistry inside of a bubble, you know, like most conventional artists do. Like I live a real life, not only a real life, like, yeah, I have kids, I have a daughter, which, you know, is a big responsibility as a parent, but I'm from an area, a section of LA where there's a lot of real life going on and things that are very unique and specific, you know, to where I'm coming from that a lot of stuff is very sensitive and, I got to like maneuver, you know, over landmines that have been set just by the culture in the area that I live in. And so I think he really drove that point home. Mark Echo, owner of Complex, catches wind of this and sends the Olive Branch to Nipsey to have a conversation. And having that conversation, Nipsey and Mark talk about obviously the article and then um, dive into Nipsey's vision of the marathon clothing and the marathon store and its expansion. And in that conversation, one of the bookend notes that Mark leaves him with is like talking about cryptocurrency and specifically Bitcoin. At this point from what Nipsey says, this is the first time he's ever heard of Bitcoin. And so, you know, Nipsey was an active learner and it was a sponge. So anytime that he came up, you know, he interacted with something that excited him, he got fully engulfed into it and did, you know, his thorough research and followed it. And such was the case here. So Nipsey follows, you know, Bitcoin. A couple of days after that conversation with Mark, he sees a front page story in the LA Times, you know, highlighting this Bitcoin phenomenon and cryptocurrency phenomenon. And um, from that point on, you know, was definitely on his radar. So now October 8th in specific, Actually, even in that week leading up to that October 8th release, Nipsey is talking about 
dropping a mixtape project and selling it for $100, which with all honesty, our immediate team was pretty reluctant to the idea because it sounded pretty ambitious, to say the least. And Jorge, just for the audience, I mean, you could buy mixtapes on the streets for $5, $10. Oh, yeah, no. I think music has gone through different phases, you know, to an era where music artists that were very talented went multi-platinum, went diamond in some cases, to then, you know, the advent of like Napster and people downloading individual songs one by one and putting together a full CD or a mixtape of sorts. Then to going into like LimeWire to sites like that, peer-to-peer sharing where you download like full CDs and then going to torrent sites where you download full discographies. And then later down the road, a guy like Steve Jobs comes in and permits for people to stream and a business model for that and kind of acts as a buffer between the music industry and consumers. And there's still to be, you know, uh, permits for a rebirth of some type of business uh, and music to happen, right? So I'm conscious of that. So Nipsey told us, look, I want to do a thousand limited edition copies, sign a number by me. We'll model it under this brand called Proud to Pay. The Proud to Pay name came up from one of his lyrics in the outro song of TMC, which is the mixtape that was released prior to this in 2011. And uh, he told us, we'll sell the CD for $100, limited edition. We'll offer it through the streaming sites and through our streaming partner at the time, which was Dat Piff, which was a popular mixtape site at the time. And we'll also offer it for sale through the conventional streaming outlets for, you know, $9.99. And... Um, the motto or the tagline of the campaign was always by choice, never by force. And so we rolled out this plan relatively last minute. We didn't have like a really necessarily formalized model as to how to sell it. It was like a microsite bearing the cover of the mixtape and a PayPal button, you know, to buy now and then a drop down menu of how many quantities you wanted to purchase. And so the true tests came the night of the release. We're all sitting in studio with Nipsey. A couple members of the team are at the store, at the Marathon store, or at Slauson App Store at the time. You know, Crenshaw Slauson, some of the team is at the studio. And we published the link live um, to Twitter. And things started to pick up relatively fast, you know, and we start to get excited. We start to see tons of PayPal notifications coming in. And, and you know, team gets excited, start making calls. Register starts ringing. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, and it starts to get boastful in a good way. You know, like I knew this was going to work. I told you guys. And of course, we're all, you know, overjoyed by the fact that this is successful. And so that's phase one of that drop, right? Phase two is the pop-up shop, you know, Fairfax, which was an in-person opportunity to celebrate the moment. And um, phase three was Jay-Z reaching out via Rock Nation to support this effort, you know, and to salute it and making a sizable purchase of 100 copies. And that kind of like set a frenzy to this proud to pay concept. And um, it was something truly remarkable and truly special. Fast forward to January 9th of 2014, up until March 12th of 2014, we do the Crenshaw tour. Throughout that entire tour, we do um, our best to set up pop-up shops in every respective market, which was actually really special because you get to see a lot of these people that supported their purchase online the day of the release. And, you know, people of all walks of life, people that spending $100 was a lot of money, you know. And in some cases, even the day of the Fairfax pop-up shop on October 8th, I recall this kid paying with his credit card and we kept sliding his card several times and it just wouldn't go through. 
you know, and he seemed pretty embarrassed as most of us would probably be, you know, when we slide a card and it doesn't go through because we don't have the money or it's demagnetized, right? His case, you know, he was honest and transparent enough to open up his banking app through his phone and show me that he had $93 and like something cents. So that's to say that someone was literally willing to spend their last dollar to support something that they could have got for free. And that to me is testament to what Nipsey's music and what Nipsey's messaging and branding, you know, represents to a lot of people, you know, um, here and in every corner of the world that we've gotten to, you know, to touch or that we've interacted with. And so that's phase one, obviously you buy the music and sign a number. And part of the promise of Proud to Pay was that it comes with some type of utility, right? We'll just call it in the NFT world. And so that utility in this case was like access to exclusive events, exclusive products. So it was a membership club, really. A membership, exactly. So again, this idea came relatively fast, so fast that we didn't have like a formal like business model and plan other than just like a little bit of blind ambition, you know, and the fact that it actually ended up working, you know, we had to play a little bit of catch up. And so we partnered with All Depth Digital for a concert at Bardot in Hollywood, California on May 3rd of 2014. And all of our Proud to Pay members were invited to a Proud to Pay member only concert, which Nipsey performed in a very intimate environment. I mean, literally no more than that. The people that were able to make it of the thousand that purchased, maybe about 200 people. Some people were overseas and other states and stuff like that. KZ didn't send a hundred people though, right? No, no, no. But, <laughs> but we'll, we'll get to this a little bit later down the road. Um, when we get to the NFT conversation, and Jay-Z will receive the 100 uh, Proud to Pay NFTs, you know, the Leo the Lions. So December 31st, 2014, we formalized the business a little bit better for Proud to Pay with two things. Instead of uh, just simply a PayPal link, we start using uh, Shopify, you know, which allows us to create a more formal customer database. And two, Nipsey partners with Ryan Leslie's company, Disruptive Multimedia, specifically with the Superphone app which allows you to get even further into the customer database and establish an even greater line of communication with the consumers that were supporting, you know, these movements and these different efforts. We did get to see that Superphone application in practice in real time, most notably in the pop-up shop we did in Louisville. I remember uh, we went to Louisville for a concert and prior to that, we did these proud to pay pop-up shops and, we partnered with a local retail shop, like mom and pop shop out in the market. And I don't know how cold it was. It's freezing. It's snowing. And we see this really unassuming line of people, maybe 20, 30 people, you know, which is kind of discouraging. You know, when you go into certain major cities and you see like four or 500, 600 people or a thousand people lined around the block. And then you go into smaller markets that are underserved and you see 20, 30 people. So... You know, the show goes on, we march in, you know, and it turns out that these 20, 30 people were extremely valuable in terms of the commerce that we look to conduct with them. And just as valuable, maybe as the four or 500 people that lined up in major cities, for which of those people, just a fraction of those, you know, people like actually spent some money with us and did some business with us. But one of the people there told us, hey, I bought the mailbox money city for a thousand dollars because that was the release on December 31st of 2014. And so my person tells us, hey, you know, I purchased mailbox money. You know, it really helped me through these hard times. My mom had cancer. She passed away. And she, you know, tells us a really, really touching story. And he's just like crying. 
And so sometimes, you know, when you're talking about $1,000 mixtape or $100 purchase, some people will be quick to say that they purchased it, you know, to kind of earn someone's trust or brown points in the moment, right? Some type of effect, right? And sure enough, as we leave the pop-up shop, we check on the Superphone app, you know, now that we, we have like a formal system, we check for Louisville. Louisville, we see one person that purchases Mailbox Money CD. We call the person. Hey, what's going on? Is this so-and-so? Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. Here, check it out. I got I got Nipsey on the phone. I had Nipsey the phone. And now Nipsey is speaking directly with the person that we just met at the pop-up shop. And this is an opportunity to connect, you know, very spontaneously. Hey, you know, we have the concert tonight at said venue. We want to make sure, you know, you come out with us and share the stage with us. Would you be gracious enough to come? Oh, my God, I would love to. And she ends up coming to the show. So those are other opportunities and things that, you know, we did at the time that we kind of like to reinvigorate, you know, with the project that we got going on with one another. JP, I just want to kind of recap because I think there's a lot of moments here that are really important for the kind of larger conversation we're having, which is just the pioneering thinking at a time when it wasn't all native for us, right? But the idea of one signed limited edition physicals, right, which we know and it only has gotten more and more popular. The idea that a physical comes with a free digital, a compliment, which again is something we see a lot of right now, but was not seen a lot back in the day. I think the story you were just telling us was so important of like the idea that being part of that original membership set, those thousand first people or the Mailbox Money Project, which is probably even smaller, like these people were made to feel even more special through a kind of a membership layer. Like all these things are kind of primitive to the things that we talk about every day in the world that we're in and that you and DK are working on, I'm sure, when it comes to the work that you guys are doing together. So I just want to recognize that like a lot of that was very innovative thinking back then compared to now where everyone can't stop talking about how we're going to create utility, create membership, create loyalty, bring creators closer to fans, all of that kind of stuff. It's really just inspiring to hear that that was happening five, six, 10 years ago in the ways that you guys were thinking about it. Definitely, definitely. And just to close with a couple of other items, I mean, I'll run through them. Um, August 2017, Nipsey partners with FollowCoin, company based in Amsterdam, which allows novice investors to follow more seasoned investors' movements the blockchain and what investments they're making in cryptocurrency and being able to shadow more seasoned investors, being able to invest in those things that they're doing. Following that, a couple months later, November 2017, Nipsey partnered with Vest, which was a marketplace where content creators could conduct direct-to-consumer transactions via the blockchain. So I just really want to stress these things because I don't want it to feel like we're new to this. You know, like I feel like Nipsey, on behalf of the team, has invested a lot of efforts early on in being part of like the early adopters, and especially in hip hop music. You know, I know it's really cool now for people to mention cryptocurrency and the blockchain and limited edition this and limited edition that. But um, we took baby steps via Nipsey to really be active participants in this. And some things turning out really well and some things not turning out as well as we imagined, you know, which is kind of the story of something that is new you know, like cryptocurrency and the blockchain and Web3, you know, there's a lot of trial and error. And some people, you know, hit the short end of the stick and being early adopters and we've been part of that. DK, do you want to just give us the quick kind of how you guys now are working together and what we're doing now? I know because it sounds like both of you have Rock Nation connections also. So shout out to Jay-Z and what they've done there. What's the future of how these brands, both one of non-marathon are getting together? and what you're going to be doing. And also 
to what JP's point, like how are you utilizing that toolkit that they really helped to pioneer in going into the future? Absolutely. I mean, Avery, if you're coming from the brand side of things, like, isn't this a dream? It's like, there's not one thing that we have to like create new. It really became like a, wait, we need to pause, go backwards and do as much research as we can because everything that we want to do from a technology standpoint, that everything that Web3 stands on top of, there's about five different ways for us to sculpt this to be something that is like directly in line with everything that they had been working on for a decade. So what we end up landing on is that there's a couple key features that we thought we could really do in a next generation way. You know, one is this concept of connecting physical to digital, taking, like you said, the free digital download alongside a physical copy and then relating our engagement and reward opportunities based on your ownership of the asset. You know, that's something that we thought that we could do better than anyone else in the world. That's where I spent the last three years. I understand the culture. I understand, you know, bridging the most forefront of technology into the neighborhoods that I grew up in. I knew I'd be the best at that. So that made me excited as a partner for those guys of of doing that, you know, bridging physical to digital for that. The second one is a big part of this is that there's a gap from the cryptocurrency to where we're at today within the proud to pay world that we almost missed out on. And that was, you know, the most traditional NFT drop. Candidly, we came in saying, you know, uh, starting to partner with those guys at the early conversations into 21 or into 22, early 23, and saying like, guys, this isn't a time for that. We're out of that phase of a traditional PFP project. It's time for us to go in a different direction. But, you know, under Black Sam's leadership, I quickly realized that, no, there's something that we have to go do still. We still need to make sure that there's a piece of the marathon in that PFP world, being that, you know, what he was doing and Nip was doing 10 years ago is what these guys have been trying to do. So we want to make sure we do this the right way. So what we partnered on is through Rock Nation. You know, that was just our relationship. They represent the brand. Um, so they've been in, in every call with us, making sure things go as smooth as we can um, with some of the resources they have to power. it. And what we built is a traditional PFP membership to get things started. That's the next generation of Proud to Pay. Over the last decade, there's been a couple of different ways to get involved. Well, the, from here on out, the only way to get involved is through um, owning the Marathon Lion, a true PFP project, but a PFP project that is true to the brand. I mean, from hand-drawn art on every asset that's on it, every piece that you see, from an outfit to a pair of sneakers to a hat or items that have been released through the marathon, every background you see is a monumental moment throughout Nipsey's marathon that we're trying to bring to the forefront. So we wanted to make sure that we tap that first. Let's go out there and do a true PFP project to get things rolling. And then from there, you know, now let's get into all of those elements that we've been able to backtrack on of, you know, hustling and acquiring wealth, making sure you're turning your products into assets, making sure you're thinking about the longevity of you know, your collectibles. So doing that through, you know, provenance and timelines and um, the ability to exchange the physical items um, through the random rewards that you just didn't know was going to happen. These things happen very quickly throughout Proud to Pay. So we wanted to make sure that we wanted to have an environment where you just never know what you might get. You might get an update a week before that you got, you know, 10% discount on this or early access on that. There's a lot of that and what we call the marathon vault. And lastly is making sure that once you're in this community, that you are, you know, first to know on anything that's up to come. So from other traditional drops they do on the marathon clothing to other digital initiatives, just from my little bit of time working with the brand, these guys have much bigger plans to not only preserve the legacy, but elevate the legacy, specifically in the digital world across a couple of different activations. And we want the marathon vault, you know, the proud to pay members to go to be the first to know and, you know, kind of the one-stop shop to be able to stay in touch on what's going to happen in maybe the gaming world, maybe the, you know, the Web3 world, maybe the cryptocurrency world. 
that's where we come in. We're the infrastructure. We want to be the connection between the physical and the digital. We want to be the platform that you can come in and log in and prove your ownership that you have that NFT to show that you're a proud to pay member. And then essentially uh, reroute you to all the different initiatives that we've been working on with these guys. So once again, discounts, engagement, services to the products, and we'll, we'll be that back-end dashboard for those guys and continue to once again, we weren't there with them through a lot of those stories, but hopefully use uh, be the technology that can preserve those and, and push those forward the same way they're trying to push forth the legacy. Just by the way, this is like one of the product offerings. So if you do have a Proud to Pay membership, you'll be able to purchase a Proud to Pay member only item. So it's like a diecast armor truck, which we actually have a real armor truck that resembles this, right? So it's modeled after something real. And each one of them is numbered. This is an addition of a thousand. So these are the type of product offerings we have. We also have like a all money in branded money counter, not just a bill counter, but the real money counters. You, same ones you see if you're, you know, at a bank teller and they're running through money, like the same, it's the real deal money counter, which is, you know, something true to our brand, obviously with the name, like all money in, no money out. But yeah, that's what we're doing. Amazing. So how does one become a member? How do people join this community? First, we went backwards. We went to, you know, the 1,000 uh, Crenshaw signed copy official owners of the physical asset first. And then we went to also the mailbox money mixtape in 2015. There's 100 copies of those at 1,000 bucks a pop. So, you know, picked up those original 1,100 there. And then, you know, have been slowly rolling this thing out. You know, we're in the 10-year anniversary of the Crenshaw mixtape. So back on October 8th, directly on a 10-year anniversary, we had a, a little pop-up event. So the collaborators on the project, alongside some new Web3 people we wanted to get mixed in as partners into this, all came together to kind of announce this and get things rolling. So moving forward, the only way to become proud to pay is to own the Marathon Line NFT. So you, you come over to the Marathon Vault, you'll be able to purchase right there on the site. Um, obviously, eliminating all the blockchain, you know, purchase with credit cards, spin up managed wallets uh, behind. But we're truly Web3. You know, that's another element to this is that there's no reason for us to shy away from blockchain, shy away from the NFT world. So while there is your non-crypto native routes to everything, these are still, you know, we're operating either on an L2 of Polygon or an L1 of Ethereum to make everything happen. And that's running in the background. So making sure that a true crypto, a true NFT lover can come in with their own non-custodial wallet and get the experience the same exact way that we can, you know, uh, off chain. Which seems true to the final vision of what JP and Nipsey and the team were building, you know, way back when, bringing into the future. We'll definitely keep our eyes out for it. Guys, thank you for spending so much time with us. We look forward to seeing where you guys are going with it. We'll make sure in the show notes, people can find everything you guys just talked about as well. And just, yeah, really appreciate you giving us the stories, JP, the kind of origin story of how this all came together, which was fascinating. TK, all the stuff you guys are doing with One of None. Really appreciate your time. Of course. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Sam, I think this is the first time we had like a historical like piece of paper. Receipts were ready. JP was not messing around. He remembers everything. And he was there. And it was really incredible to hear his stories. Yeah, I mean, I as a hip hop fan, Nipsey was always on my radar as someone as a creator musically. I did not realize how deep he went when it comes to his thinking about the ecosystem around his membership community and his fan base. I remember, I believe it's in Bobby Hundred's first book. He actually talks about how powerful Nipsey's like thinking was around this stuff, uh, and he was a big inspiration for Bobby as well. So I was glad that we had them on 50th anniversary of hip hop in November. Woo! We had to make sure we represented. So pretty excited about that. And let's just uh, wrap it up there and we'll see you guys next week. 
Gen C, thank you guys as always for tuning in. This was a little bit of a different episode. So let us know what you thought and if you love it. If you want to hear more sort of culture and hope you all have a wonderful week. We'll catch y'all next week. Mm-hmm.